0: Welcome, everyone, to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle Travel Editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today, we're stoked to have climber and filmmaker Cedar Wright on the podcast. Cedar grew up in the Central Valley, and he cut his teeth as a young climber in Yosemite, uh, which is where he met Alex Honnold. And the two have done a bunch of fun trips and films together ever since. Cedar lives in Boulder, Colorado, and he was in town to hype his new film, which is called Queen Maudland, and it follows a climbing expedition in Antarctica last year. So among the climbers are heavy hitters like Alex Honnold and Jimmy Chin and Conrad Anker and Anna Pfaff, Um, and they basically get dropped into this remote mountain range in the middle of the ice called the Wolf's Jaw, and they pair off and they just knock out summits uh, on these crazy beautiful peaks one after the other in sub-zero temperatures. And while it's a pretty extreme situation, the way Cedar put the film together makes it all feel like a big party among friends, um, you know, interspersed with these wild first ascents on these insane peaks. Um, It's a really fun film. But he was a little nervous about the stakes of filming a high-profile film for the North Face in Antarctica.
1: Honestly, it was maybe one of the worst filmmaking experiences of my life, (laughs) because it was just so hard to make this movie. And it almost broke me. And I, for a second, I thought maybe my climbing and filmmaking career was all on the verge of destruction. Um, yeah, I am all like, "Man, if I don't like nail this film, like this could be terrible." Like everybody spent, <laughs> a, you know, a shitload of money to get me there, and if I come back with a dud, it's gonna be like catastrophic. And, you know, if you screw this film up, you know what I mean. You might be <laughs> slinging friggin' chalk bags in REI or something. <laughs> you know, so I met Cedar down in
0: the Presidio before he was scheduled to host a climbing clinic at Planet Granite. And the quietest place that we could find to record the pod was in my car, so we just parked by the Golden Gate Bridge and chatted for an hour um, with like tourists wandering around all around us. Um, And we covered a lot of ground, including Cedar's thoughts on the ethics of filming free soloing, um, some close calls that he's had as a paraglider, and his overall approach to his career. So if you guys know anything about Cedar, he's a goofball, but he's also very thoughtful, and it's a really interesting conversation. Quick note on the podcast before we get into it, uh, the memory card in my recorder filled up partway through, so we switched to recording on my phone, so you'll, you'll hear that shift about a half hour in. All right, without further ado, here's Cedar Wright. It's Sunday morning on a sunny and smoky San Francisco uh, morning. We're down at the Presidio near Planet Granite. And I'm sitting in my car with Cedar Wright right now, who is uh, in town to hype his new film called Queen Modland, uh which is part of the Real Rock Tour. And Cedar, you're doing like an event at Planet Granite this morning. Are you teaching people how to...
1: Yeah, so this, uh, this morning I'll be uh, doing a couple of clinics and just um, with newer climbers and teaching them movement and um, and how to focus and improve on their climbing skills. So
0: Yeah, how's yeah. that go?
1: Are you a good teacher or... Um, do you just kind of berate them? I found, yeah, I find if you just like shout at someone loud enough, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll get up the wall. I, I mean, I think I, I, you know, I, I like to bring some, you know, just some motivation. A lot of times I think people just need like some, um, extra motivation, just like, you know, and some good energy to get them up the wall. So do you, are,
0: it's less like technical pointers, like keep your arms straight. You know, climb with your legs and more just like general encouragement. Yeah, like
1: stop being scared and just go for it already. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Like you know, you know, and, and just all you know, but it's also about movement and, and uh you know, just you know, when you're a new climber, you know, just learning the basics of movement um, can really help you a lot. And so yeah, it's it's actually I really enjoy doing these clinics and working with newer climbers and um, and you know, I've been in the game for a long time so they tend to be pretty excited to hang out with me and um, and to uh you know, just ask me questions, it's not just about climbing but about Filmmaking and um, my little dogs and, and other stuff. So it's yeah. it's a fun little... Uh, it's a fun thing to do, for sure. Nice. Enjoy it.
0: And so you're in San Francisco. Do you make it to the Bay Area, to San Francisco often?
1: Uh, yeah, it seems like I'm in the Bay quite a bit. You know, I've been a North Face uh, climber oh, right. for a long time. Right. And so North Face is based in, in Alameda um, for now, although they'll be moving to Denver soon. Really? Yeah, North Face is moving their, um, their offices to Denver um, by next year. So it's pretty seismic shift in the brand that's happening and um, why would you go to Denver when you can be in the bay area well i mean i would say because you know the bay area sucks but <laughs> 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 it's freaking crowded and expensive man it is yeah and it, it's and right now it's really smoky um no but no i mean i love the bay i come out here quite a bit yeah and i i'm, I'm a, you know i'm a california native i was uh, born and raised in toll house which is near Yosemite Valley and it's kind of between Fresno and Yosemite okay. and so I grew up in one of the most rural parts of California but always had like um, uh, family and stuff out here in the bay and my sister still lives she lives in Walnut Creek so. oh cool okay yeah, so I've got Bay, Bay Area roots, and um, I love the Bay, even though I like to bag on it a little bit. <laughs>
0: is there anything that you like to do, or that you have to, you know, that you have to do when you come back? Restaurant you always go to, or anything like that? Uh,
1: in the in the Bay, um, yeah. oh man, I you know I just like I like just like to go and like have like some greasy you know burrito like in the Mission or something, mm, you know? Yeah, I like to mix. it. I honestly like to just go and explore and and uh, and try new food. I mean, the food here in the Bay is amazing. I like to. You know, so I like to go and just have, like, check out a new restaurant or something. And, and uh, but no, I'm not, I don't have any real go-to stuff that I do here. Yeah. But honestly, okay. other than get out of here, you know, as quickly as possible <laughs> <laughs> to where there's rocks and...
0: But yeah, so you're in town to, uh, in part promote this new film, Queen Maudland. um, yeah. at Real Rock. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you just in general how you started getting into filmmaking and when, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what the, well, yeah. I guess, that's I so guess, clear.
1: yeah, maybe for people you know who are listening to this podcast who don't know who I am, um, I started out um, climbing in Yosemite, and I think that's where I kind of made a name for myself, um, putting up first ascents and um, speed climbing, and just kind of being a fixture in Yosemite Valley um, around the same time that the Huber brothers were doing some of their free routes on El Cap, and Tommy was starting to become. A Yosemite climber. I was also there, and um, you know, pushing my personal limits, and um, yeah, I made a name for myself, and was lucky to sign on to the North Face climbing team. I got to you know travel the world and go on all these crazy expeditions to actually to six of the continents. You know, I had I had put up you know big wall first ascents on six six continents, and um, yeah, I was like every year the North Face would be like you know, all right, where's what where do you want to go on expedition? You know, and I'd be like. Antarctica you know the final continent you know yeah. and they'd be like oh yeah great how much is that going to cost right. <laughs> and I'd be like oh about 40 grand a person and they'd be like yeah no <laughs> right and I just kept on just chipping away at them and <laughs> a few years ago they said yes and uh yeah I was like holy crap
0: how yeah, did they how said did,
1: yes how did you sell them on it did you have to be, um, like,
0: we're going to get Conrad and Jimmy and Savannah and... Ann. Like, did you have to sell them on everybody?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I was like, look... Honestly, I mean, I said, you know, hey, guys. You know, we... The North Face is, has a, a history of being a leader in climbing exploration and climbing expeditions, you know. And it's time to put your you know, your money where your mouth is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and surprisingly, you know, they were surprisingly at the time, you know, they said yes. And... Um, I guess also I maybe mean, people who aren't familiar with my deal, you know, through that whole process that I was talking about of, you know, becoming a professional climber, climbing for the North Face, and eventually um, appearing in different climbing films um, with Sender Films and the whole, appearing in the, several of the Real Rock tours. Um, you know, I, I collaborated with those guys and I learned, you know, the, that I really enjoyed the whole creative process of filmmaking. And um, I became really curious about it and I, and I you know, picked up a camera and started picking their brains, and learned to use iMovie. And I started making like, you know, like ten, twelve years ago. I started making these like terrible little <laughs> short films. Yeah. You know about my adventures, and um, and so slowly but surely, you know, I I went from being um, you know a star in some of these um, adventure films to making adventure films. And I uh, I think I had a probably a breakout film for me was 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 uh, the Sufferfest um, one and two films with Alex Honnold. Yeah, where, those are fun. There's like some fun films. We uh, we did all the fourteen thousand foot peaks in California by bike, and documented it, and made a fun little you know comedy buddy adventure <laughs> right. film out of it. Right. And uh, and then we and then we followed up with Sufferfest Two, or we did fifty desert towers by bike, and that was probably um, you know my best you know film at the time, and um, and really kind of cemented. Um, me as as a not just a, a professional climber but a, a a filmmaker and yeah so when uh we, when you know i finally sold the north face on this trip to antarctica i also convinced them that i should direct um, and produce the film and yes yeah, so there i was in in Ar- antarctica um <laughs> with an all-star cast with the extremely stressful um and you know high pressure challenge of delivering like you know the big story of the year for the north face yeah and uh i think you know there's some people i think who were like a little worried i was gonna screw it up
0: (laughs) (laughs) so how does that work because in the film from what i remember Mm -hmm. you know there are cameras like up with conrad and jimmy while they're climbing by themselves it appears so are you up with them like you had to go up with it because uh, in the film, at least, it looks like they kind of go off and do their own thing for mm-hmm. a few days. So are yeah. they helping you with camera work, or how does that work?
1: Yeah. So the way this worked, well, so I hired um, a cinematographer named Pablo Durrana. Oh yeah,
0: totally. He lives legend. around here, right? Yeah.
1: He's a Bay Area um, cat. He's like the world's most interesting man. I mean, it's like he's <laughs> like. He's one of those people who, like, you know, on-sites your project and then films you on it, you know? (laughs) He's, like, a total just crusher, badass cinematographer and athlete and totally the perfect guy for this trip because we need somebody who's going to be able to run around with the uh, the three different teams, you know? So Conrad and Jimmy were working on a big wall on Ulvatana, which is the biggest peak uh, in the range. And then Alex and I were just, you know, doing alpine-style first descents on... All of the other um, peaks in the range. We ended up, in, you know, in the, during that time that we were there, we did, we, we summited fourteen summits, and we did, I think, eight or nine first ascents. So it was like definitely the most productive and successful alpine climbing trip of my life, and uh, just out. We had some of the most outrageous adventures, and and then um, Anna and Savannah um, put up several first ascents, and actually climbed a couple of summits with Alex and I, and uh, yeah, it was just a crazy, crazy trip, and Pablo was kind of had the impossible task of trying to you know jump from group to group and document as much as he could yeah i mean the place queen maudlin is it's outrageous yeah it's one of the most it's one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the world i mean Antarctica is, is is just a stunning stunning place that very few people get get to visit and you know there's huge granite peaks leaping up um and it's just something it's just something to see you know something to behold
0: yeah, they look like, you know, these giant, like, shark's teeth or something just sticking straight out yeah. of the snow, totally yeah. separate from one another. Totally. And then, and it's, like, impossible to really get a sense of scale until you're, like, on them. They it's true. They don't look that big when you first see them in the film. And then when no. you see them, cli- when you see you guys climbing on them, it's like, oh, these are
1: massive. They're huge. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's actually one of the struggles of the film was, it's like, I, I feel like these things don't look that big because yeah. of the, there's no trees, there's right. no sense of scale really at all and so in, until you're on these peaks you don't realize how big they are you know remember it was like the first the first day Alex and I went out we were like how how big do you think that thing is and I was like man I it's somewhere between like you know 500 and 3,000 feet like I just have no <laughs> idea until and you know then you ski and you ski and you ski and you're still not there and then you're like oh no this thing is pretty big I guess you know yeah what I mean it's like a it, it, it's a really wild in, uh, environment for sure you know and yeah. then you're you got 24 hour Daylight, you know, which is totally cool, and you you know and then you have just constantly freezing temperatures, which is you know the big challenge of of climbing antarctica it's um it's extremely cold right, and so for us, like the way we were able to climb and free climb everything was um you know being extremely just being very fast and and just making sure that you climbed these routes in the sun as much as possible' Okay. as soon as you go in the shade it's like it's y- 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 you can you know you can't climb barehanded for long before you're going to end up um, with frostbite. So it's a yeah, it's a real it's a real race race against the sun um, if you're trying to uh, free climb these routes. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, well, so you guys are there, yeah. and it's and the the film. There's like a lot of beauty in the film. Obviously, you guys are mm-hmm. in this incredible place, but it's also a place that is like quiet and empty. And it's just the six of you, you get dropped off in a plane, like, kind of in the middle of this range, basically. Yeah. And the vibe of the film is like a, it's like a camping party, right? It's very, considering how sort of, like, you know, empty and sort of slow this is, the feeling of the film is actually, like, pretty kind of fast-paced. It's, like, a lot of funny moments between people and, like, kind of jokes. It's, like, uh, like some awkward moments or, like, expressions between people. And, like, I feel like you kind of have a knack for that. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen it in a few of your films now where it just looks like a party every time. It just yeah. looks like people having fun the whole time. There are definitely moments where people are, like, struggling or... Scared. Or scared. But it's just, like... It never, to me, feels like they kind of, they never slow down and like really pull back. And especially when we're getting into this era of like climbing narratives and like these, these adventure films being more narrative driven. I feel like yours are just like, let's go out and sort of shoot this like gonzo style. Everybody's having a good time totally and then you have a film of it. So I was just wondering yeah. if you are like aware of those kind of conventions and how you you go about actually making like thinking about your film while you're making it and editing it and putting it together.
1: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one of the things I sort of pride myself in is is ma- is making, you know, the the whole process of making my film as uninvasive and and fun as possible and and so not you know, there's no hiking back and forth on ridges and getting the best hiking shot. Right, there's no right. reclimbing pitches to, you know what I mean, to get a better climbing shot. Um, it's, I really, the, these films are getting made in a, a true verite style, right? We're just documenting everything the best that we can, but the priority is to have a rad adventure, um, not to, you know what I mean, not to get the best possible shot each time. So, um Yeah, I mean, that's just always been my... That's like the spirit of the Sufferfest films, which is, you know, we just pulled our cameras along the way, and we got what we got, but because um, we weren't... You know, we weren't posing, it feels real, and you feel like, you know, you're along for a real adventure, because you are along for a real adventure. And and so that's always been my approach to filmmaking. And then also, a big, I guess, part of um, what I love you know, um, to document my films is just the, yeah, I mean, yeah, these, these trips can be gnarly and they can be scary and all these things, but they can also be really fun. And, you know, a lot of this, this, you know, a successful climb is usually about like an interesting partnership, you know, a friendship between these two people that, you know, click in these unique ways that allow them to have these, these kind of interesting adventures. And so I'm like really interested in the characters and and the relationships and, um, and just the stuff that makes, you know, this stuff, not gnarly, but the stuff that makes th- this, this climbing game fun. And, yeah. And, and so I like to capture the fun and the, um, and the just real moments, the quirk. Right. The, the weirdness that, you know, of, of, people and, and this, this film, I mean, I, I, will say this, this film was definitely the hardest film I've made so far because, um, you know, there's there's not a single narrative, you have three different climbing teams, um, all going off to do different things, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a short, you know, entertaining film for real rock, so, you know, trying to hit that, like, you know, 30 minute sweet spot, um, where, you know, you don't start to lose people's attention, especially because it's not the only film they're going to see that night, right, mm-hmm. and so it was a, it was a big, this, this film was a huge struggle to find that balance between, um, you know, diving into Conrad's story a little bit and learning that he had a heart attack, and feeling that kind of that sense of redemption when he climbs um, the big peak at the end. But also, um, you know, getting to know Alex and I, and getting to know Anna and Sav, Sav a little bit, and seeing our accomplishments, and, um, and and you know, and then also trying to paint a picture of of the range. And uh, it was just there were so many moving parts in this film, and um, and there was also a lot of expectations from. From, you know, from The North Face and from Sender um, as to what the film should be and then our own personal vision. And so, honestly, it was maybe one of the worst filmmaking experiences of my life because <laughs> it was just so hard to make this movie and it almost broke me. And I, for a second, I thought maybe my climbing and filmmaking career was... We're all on the verge of destruction. Um, right. Yeah, I'm all like, man, if I don't like nail this film, like this could be terrible. Like everybody spent, <laughs> a, you know, a shitload of money to get me there, and if I come back with a dud, it's gonna be like catastrophic, you know? And
0: yeah, Antarctica,
1: the stakes are high. Yeah, and in general, just not not just like the cold and the choss and the runouts, but like you know, if you screw this film up, you know what I mean? You might be, <laughs> you might be, like, you know, freaking slinging friggin' chalk bags and REI or something, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: you mentioned the partnerships, and that was one thing that I actually really liked about the film was uh, you have Jimmy and Conrad who go off, and they are, mm-hmm. you know, they've known each other for a, a really long time. They're older. They have that kind of, like, grizzled soul climber vibe about them. Totally. Um, you know, sort of, like, proving to themselves that they can still do it kind of thing. But you have, like, Anna and Savannah, and Anna is, like, at the peak of her game, and sort of like maybe mentoring or training Savannah a little bit on like totally. alpine climbing, yeah. And then you have you and Honald who are kind of like the goofball like bros, like Jim Bros, who are going off and just crushing, yeah. And I was good. gonna say the wildly handsome
1: badasses.
0: Oh, that didn't come through no, no, in the film. Weird, huh? I don't
1: know. Oh, that's <laughs> weird. Work on my, maybe in the directors. Work cup. on my narrative. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but and uh and so was, all of those were good, and I, I think probably like yours and Alex's climb was the most maybe entertaining because mm-hmm. you guys just have this great rapport and dynamic. Totally. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, like how you and Alex first got together and became climbing partners and sort of developed this relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is, I mean, one of the things we explore in the film is just these different partnerships, these different relationships, you know, yeah. and, and, and so that, Sav are, you know, kind of the, the new, they're, they're in a new partnership, you know, and, uh, and so it was just an interesting thing. And you know, and Conrad and Jimmy have been climbing together for years. They're more old school.
0: Yeah.
1: We're more you know, Alex and I climb in a more new school way. We both like grew up speed climbing in Yosemite, simul climbing and using these different tactics and so, you know, we have a different approach to things. And uh and and then Alex and I just I think have a, a great partnership and friendship and we um are very similar in some ways and completely different in others. And um and somehow it it works. You know, we both love to laugh in the face of danger and adversity. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of our coping mechanism. And you know what I mean? The more gnarly it gets, the more, you know, kind of, you know, jokes we make essentially. And, uh, and we, you know, we, yeah, we just have a unique, a unique partnership. And, um, he's certainly, you know, certainly one of my, my favorite people to climb with. Um, although sometimes I want to just like Choke him out, you know. Cause he's so damn impatient, and no, not he. He's never satisfied. He's never, you know. No matter how good I climb, he's gonna be disappointed. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, but I kind of like that. I like, you know, I, I, I like the, uh you know, his kind of negative. Attitude. We actually have. There's some really funny stuff that didn't make the film, but it's like we had like you know. There's actually a bunch of stuff that we'll do eventually. Do a Cedar and Alex like Supperfest three Antarctica cut. Oh, cool. So that's something to look for in the future because oh, be there's fun. just so much footage that we just couldn't use in this in this in this film because we're trying to balance all these characters. But there's some really funny moments where Alex is just like just I mean I basically we have like 30 minutes of him complaining about like every aspect of like Antarctica from like the cold to like the climbing's not hard enough to like you know what I mean the sun just goes around in circles he never know, knows what time it is you know what I mean and we we did this really funny montage where it just cuts back from him like complaining about some aspect of the trip and me being like it's so beautiful here we're so lucky to be here you know this is one of the most incredible mountain ranges on the earth. And he's all like, you know, he's all like, oh, I can't even feel my hands when I climb and my toes hurt, you know? And it's like a, but yeah, we have a, we have an interesting relationship. And, we, um, you know, we, we met in Yosemite Valley, uh, back in the day. He knew who I was I already was sort of like a famous Yosemite climber at that point, and And, okay. and he was just a, you know, a noob who had just soloed, you know, asked on the roster, and I was like, who the hell is this kid, like, mm. you know, like, doing these hard solos, and was very curious to meet him, and we hit it off, and, and then when he got signed on to the, to the North Face team, um, you know, we just started going on adventures together, and have been all over the world together, climbing the Czech Republic, and Africa, and a bunch of places, and and yeah, yeah, and uh, I've drug him up a lot of stuff, because <laughs> he's kind of a hack.
0: Yeah, I think we all, I think we all feel that <laughs> yeah. way. Well, so I'm I'm asking about that because you did Safety Third with yep. Brad Gobright. So yep. um, it's basically a film that follows around Brad Gobright, who is well. Do you want you want to?
1: Yeah. So it it's Safety Third is um, Brad Gobright was a friend of mine, and um, I've always, um, I mean, I'm a soloist myself. I've definitely been soloing for years, and I've always admired soloing and thought it was a really interesting and cool aspect of the sport, something I respect. And so I just knew Brad was doing some really cool stuff. He was running up the naked edge in. in Colorado in Eldorado Canyon, which is like the iconic kind of you know equivalent of Astroman in Colorado, and he was he was doing laps on it like all the time, and I was just like, God, that's so bold and so gnarly to just be running up that thing like it's a racetrack, and um, and and I so I just reached out to him like, hey, it'd be cool to like maybe shoot some of your soloing and you know maybe like just I was just like oh to me I was just like oh this is a really interesting um cutting edge character who nobody really knows about. And I was just thought, thought it'd be cool to um, document his, you know, climbing and his character. He's a quirky guy. He yeah. likes junk food. He's kind of a weirdo. He's you know, we kinda of framed him as the anti honald in a lot of ways, right? right? Like, you know, no money, eats donuts, you know what I mean? Like Al Honold's like, you know, a millionaire, Body is a temple. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Which he kind guy, of did so... this whole like fun juxtaposition with the film. It seems also like Honald is, you know, very calculated, calculated yeah. risk taker. And Brad is maybe like a little more on the edge. Maybe. at the, Yeah, I think he was, especially he was definitely on the edge um, in the penultimate solo in the film. We, we That was a little freaky to watch. Yeah, we filmed, we filmed him. It's actually kind of changed my whole kind of thought process on filming soloing and stuff. We filmed him on, on the actual, you know, moment, the solo of Hairstyles and Attitudes, which is probably, you know, 12 C or D. Um, uh, multi-pitch route on on this uh, this formation called the Bastille in Eldorado Canyon, and the the crux pitch is right at the top on this headwell, headwall, head wall, and it's slopey, it's technical, it's slippery, it's really hard, and there's no backing off. I mean, it's the kind of climbing where you can't down climb, and and he had a moment where he kind of unwound from the wall a little bit. He lost. He kind of just just lost body tension and just for a second he was falling off the wall and he reeled himself back in and, and I you know in that moment saw that happen you know and I had been filming on other solos and he was always so strong and just executing you know and that was the first time ever where I filmed someone soloing where I you know just wasn't 100% solid and uh, I, you know and then I had to continue to document and film all I wanted to do was throw him a rope you know what I mean like yeah. and just be like dude fuck let's get out of here but you know he he forged onwards and and you know finished the rest of the hard climbing and and um I was pretty traumatized by the whole experience and it definitely um made me think that I think it's better to you know if someone wants to solo something that's great and you know they should you know that that's something they really want to do then they should do it but I don't necessarily want to be there to document that in real time I'd rather go back um, and film on some of the easier solo climbing and and be able to kind of just you know what i mean uh show you know you can show the world like you know that solo and and that that exposure, but maybe not film on the hardest moves where like just the stakes are so high and where there's the possibility of falling because so I just you know I think that um, there is something to it that's you know it, it changes the vibe of the solo it also um
0: the the act of filming it the act of
1: filming it, of filming it yeah. and 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 I mean, just, I mean, you just don't want to, I just would never, ever want to be there to watch somebody come off the wall, you know? That'd and, be so
0: crazy. That'd be terrifying.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Brad had, like, fallen and died that day, it would have, you know, I mean, my life would have been forever changed. Um, you know, I mean, I, just, I, I can't even imagine, what, you know, where my life would have gone from there. And so, so after that experience, I definitely was like, yeah, that's, you know, I, I haven't, like, been seeking out other solo films. I was actually, I mean, I was even a little bit uncomfortable about the, uh, um, about, you know, the Alex's pre-solo Yeah, free solo I was going to ask movie. about that. Because um, they
0: address it in there, and it's like, what role does this whole film crew setting up actually have on Alex's ability to, like, lock in and deliver?
1: Totally. I mean, I just... I mean, there's just, like, it's just, you know, I think it's just there's a element of, of pressure on the athlete and stuff when you're kind of like, all right, today's the day, you know yeah. what I mean? We're getting in position, and then you're going to, like, risk your life for the camera, and it's just, like... Um, it's just a... It, Undeniably changes things, and it's it's in some ways not a solo um, if you have people there, right? Mm. And and so you know it's just something after that whole safety third experience. It was something that I mean certainly you know I, it I certainly was. I felt like kind of held emotionally hostage <laughs> by the whole the free solo thing, and just knowing that Alex was for sure going to go for it eventually, and that you know there's going to be people there filming, and it was just all. You know what I mean? Freaked me out a little bit. But at the same time, I, um, I, knew, you know, I knew Alex's process and I knew how solid he was. And that's where the memory card filled up. We'll be back in one
0: moment with Cedar, but first, a quick word from our sponsor.
1: <laughs> it's funny yeah, for those listening. We're like doing this whole like podcast, like just sitting here in 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 in, the, in a car looking at the Golden Gate. Um, yeah, we're
0: in a random parking lot, kind of by at the end of Fort Mason by Planet Granite, looking at the Golden Gate Bridge, kind of hazy and smoke. And we're just two dudes just sitting in a car talking. Yeah. It's a little.
1: It's a little well, strange. Um, it's a little strange. And if I disappear, I just want you guys to know where I am because I kind of get a slight, slightly murdery. I do feel like I'm in a that like vibe. You know what I mean? Like a spy thriller or
0: something like that. Like people don't just meet in cars and chat. You I know? know. It's not something that happens. I
1: know, but you know, that's all part of my unconventional approach to things. I was yeah. like, oh, we'll just meet in the car. I have a minute. Right. You I'm know? surprised
0: we haven't gotten more looks from all the people passing by, but I
1: know. San I know. Francisco, I don't know. Everybody's just too wrapped up in their own lives. They're all like, i got to get to my tech job. So, yeah, Cedar, I was going to ask about um,
0: about your paragliding.
1: Yeah, so um, about three and a half years ago, I started my journey of becoming a paragliding pilot. For people who don't know what a paraglider is, it's basically a nylon um, parachute-looking thing, like almost something similar to what someone would jump out of an airplane with, but it's much longer and skinnier. And it has an incredible glide angle, so you're able to, you know, go forward quite a long ways for each foot that you go down. Um, and and if there's rising air or a thermal going up, then you can get into that rising air or thermal and circle or carve your way up into the sky. And you can climb quite high, and, and you can go and glide and look for the next thermal. And um, so I got into the sport thinking it would just be a cool way to get down from mountains, but then quickly learned about the discipline of cross-country paragliding, which is basically where you launch off of um, a small hill or mountain, find a thermal, climb up, go and glide, and you just see how far you can go. Mm -hmm. You you travel long distances across mountains, flatlands, deserts, um, and it's just an outrageously adventurous aspect of the sport. You take off and you have no idea where you're going to end up, end up, and you can fly hundreds of miles. And um, Yeah, how's, how far have you gone? So I now have this, you know, I set the goal um, last year of flying 100 miles on my paraglider, and I was able to do it four times this year. So I had four flights of over 100 miles this year. Um, one was a, a 50 miles out and 50 miles back in Africa, and then, I, um, and then I had uh, a flight in Columbia that was straight line with a turn point 100 miles. And then I had two just straight 100-mile flights in the U.S., one from, um, uh, in, in Washington from the Cascades from a launch called Tumwater. And then I also flew 100 miles um, launching from the ski resort in Jackson and flying out past the Wind Rivers and into the desert. Oh, that's cool. It was amazing. I actually got to, like, kind of fly into the Wind Rivers a little bit and just flew... Over some outrageous deep mountain terrain on that on the on on that flight, and um, it's just incredible um, that you can harness just the rising air, the rising atmosphere of the Earth, and, and travel these long distances. And it's it's incredibly um, cerebral and strategic. Um, and there's just so much. I mean, it's so easy to just not find a thermal land, you know, and so it's so tricky to stay in the air. And it's a constant um you know assessment of the conditions and you know adjustment of your strategy and you know the day tends to change and so you have to constantly be adjusting your model of what's going on and it's it's just an and a, and a wonderful sport. It's an addictive sport. And it is a dangerous um, sport as well.
0: Yeah. So you had something happen up in Washington uh, earlier this year. Is that right? Yeah. So I
1: was, I was, so I was. you know, I started getting into paragliding competitions. and um, And in paragliding competitions, basically, usually they're about seven days long. And you'll have what's called a task committee. The task committee will look at the conditions of the day. And then they'll be like, all right, we're going to send the group to turn point a turn point b you know so you know if you know we're sitting here looking at the golden gate bridge right right now like say you know just hypothetically they're like we're, you got to fly out tag that mountain past the golden gate bridge come back tag the golden gate bridge go out tag planet Gan- granite and then come back here and land in this parking lot mm. you know what i mean like that's sort of just a, an example of like of, of what a task would be you would go out and tag these certain turn points and you would come and land and the person who does that course the the fastest Wins and it's a it's a pretty um, cool sport. It's like kind of regatta racing. Um, you know, you'll be with a hundred different pilots in the air, and you're all vying for position. I was gonna
0: say, like, it, so it's not time trials. You're all doing it at one time.
1: You're all doing it one time. So what oh happens is everybody launches like in a, a launch window. Everybody establishes in a thermal together, and then you're not allowed to basically leave this cylinder area until a designated time. So everybody leaves this um, this GPS cylinder. At the same time, and then goes on the course line, and then starts trying to tag these Whoa. GPS waypoints. And you have a, you know, a couple flight computers on your flight deck in front of you that allow you to see, you know, your altitude, your ground speed, your location um, in in time and space. And and uh, it's a fascinating uh, part of the sport. And you know, it's it's just a lot of fun to compete. And when you're competing, um, you're pushing harder, you know, and you're taking probably more risk than you normally would on a normal cross-country flight. You know, you're going to be accelerating your wing to the maximum all the time, and when your wing's fully accelerated, um, you're more at risk of a catastrophic collapse or something that could (laughs) basically swat you out of the sky. So anyways, I went, you know, I went to this, I I got kind of obsessed with it, I went to this comp in in Oregon, and I actually, um, in my class, the sport class it's called, I got third place. And I was friggin' stoked, you know? I was like, oh man, like, I might be good at this, like, you know? <laughs> and then I went to Washington to this other comp, and I was, like, pushing really hard and going, you know, as fast as I could, and I had a huge collapse of my wing. Yeah, what happened? Well, so I was, like, I was fully accelerated. Um, my wing... So how, how fast is that, roughly, ground speed? Oh, you know, maybe going, like, you know, 35, 45 miles an hour. Okay. So Probably about 40 miles an hour or something, right? And... The wing had a a big collapse on full speed, so the wing goes away. So, um, so what happens? Like, it hits, you hit an air
0: pocket, or you just, like, lose an edge of the
1: thermal? Like, what's the cause of You that? know, in this case, I'll never know. I think I may have hit a wind gradient or something. Huh. I, and my was like, how the hell did you throw your reserve out there? It was like everybody was like, couldn't find thermals out there, you know? And, huh. and the thermals well, are usually what'll cause a collapse because on the side on the edges of thermals there will be turbulence you know because you'll have rising air and Mm -hmm. and there'll be like a shear layer and if you hit that you know um without being ready it can collapse your wing you know and that's like one of the dangers of paragliding is you can have this collapse of the wing and when the wing opens back up a lot of times you'll have a collapse and you'll be like ah and the wing opens up and you're flying again it's sort of a you know non-event it's just a scary moment that really adds up to nothing but but sometimes, if the collapse is violent enough, um, or if you don't handle it correctly, um, it, you can have what's called a cascade, which is where um, that collapse leads to another collapse, and and that's what happened to me. Is I had a big collapse, and the wing shot back, and it shot forward, and it collapsed again. And when it collapsed that second time, um, the the whole the whole paraglider just twisted up into this like crazy knot. Oh man! And so now I don't. I'm not under a wing. I'm under this weird like kind of like friggin' just crumbled up ball of paper and i'm like you know and it's thrashing around and now i'm like falling out of the sky you know what i mean and i'm trying to get the wing to open i'm like pulling on the brakes trying to do all this stuff and it's not working and whenever i like kind of like let go um of the wing at all it, um, i start to like spiral you know And a spiral if you if, if you get enough g-force you'll, you can you can go unconscious you know and so oh, at man. this point i'm starting to panic you know, and I'm a I'm, I'm an intermediate, you know, maybe intermediate advanced pilot, right? So like, I don't necessarily have all the moves, and so I've like I've used the moves that I have, and I'm starting to get really scared, and I I went for my final the final move when you don't have the moves, which is I reached down and I threw out my reserve parachute, and um and uh, the reserve parachute is just a circular parachute. So now, you know, I throw the reserve, and now I'm like suddenly it goes from this super chaotic thrashing like insanity, right, to just like just instant peacefulness, right? I'm yeah. just under this circular, you know, pa- parachute, you yeah. know? And I'm like, it's quiet, and my, my main wing kind of sinks down. I'm able to pull it in. I'm holding now my main wing, and I actually, I pull out my, my cell phone and take a selfie because I, cause I'm like 3,000 <laughs> feet above the ground, and now I've got some time to think about what happened and I'm just slowly drifting towards the ground.
0: Yeah, you can't really, with the circular one, it's not the same level of like maneuvering, right? You don't there's have- There's
1: zero maneuvering. Okay. You're just like, you're just literally a leaf in the wind. Yeah. So now I'm just like falling out of the sky, you know, pretty fast. Um, You know, it feels peaceful when you're high, but as, as I'm getting closer to the ground, I'm like, wow, I'm really, there's a lot of wind, right? So I'm getting blown, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour with the wind and I'm I'm looking at like kind of like where am I gonna end up, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm out in like pretty wide open farmland, which is pretty ideal. Yeah, but nice. but I'm like, oh there's power lines and I'm all like, ooh, I could hit a power line. <laughs> and then I was like, oh man, like I'm coming for this field and there's this huge metal water combine thing, right? There are these big arching they're the big things on wheels that you roll across fields to water the fields. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that big metal arch that the water comes out of is, you know, 15 feet above the ground or something. And it's this huge, you know, metal, like freaking death. Like cross wire. I mean, like if you hit it,
0: it's just like,
1: yeah. And I'm going right at it. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm I'm like, Oh man, like if I hit this thing, it's going to, I'm going to, it's going to break every bone in my body. You know, it's going to be bad because I'm coming down fast. And, um, and so I'm just like, please, 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 and I, I, I come in and I'm like going right at it, but I just managed to, I, I just, I just managed to land right in front of it, and I slam into the ground super hard, Ooh. and uh, lucky not to break a leg or something, because like you know I was coming in that fast, and then my wing, um, or I mean my my reserve parachute drapes over the uh, the top of this this metal arch, right? Land, like, right so I'm on the ground. I land right in front of it, and I'm on the ground so now I'm, like, sort of attached to it because, you know, my reserve is, like, draped over it and won't come off. And the sprinklers are on, right? So now I'm just getting rained on, you know? I'm just getting drenched. <laughs> I'm like, fuck! Fuck! You know? and, and I can't get away, you know? And so I'm, like, as quickly as I can like getting unbuckled from my harness, and then I throw all my flight deck and everything out of the water, and and I, uh, you know, eventually, like, you know, unclip... Um, everything except for the reserve and the harness, Um, you know, I get my wing out of the water, and um, and and then I'm like, you know, I'm out of the water, and, but still like the reserve and the harness are just getting rained on, and I'm like they're stuck, and so then I have to like climb up on this freaking combine, you know what I mean, and traverse out this span, you know what I mean, like looking at like you know like a leg breaker fall, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> You're just like I'm just like straddling this like bar and like trying to get out to the reserve to get it off, and I get the reserve off and. You know, finally, and then I get back to my stuff, and I lay it all out in the sun to dry, and I call a friend to come and get me, and and I'm and you know, and I'm pretty pretty shaken up, yeah, right, and pretty freaked out, and uh, and feeling like, oh wow, you know, you could have gotten really hurt or killed, and but somehow miraculously you're completely unscathed, and um, it was just like a really surreal and intense experience, and um, and yeah, and then I uh, I, I that night I packed up my stuff and I was back on the hill the next day. Oh man. And, uh, and it was like, there's two many, two more days of the competi- competition, but the weather was a little iffy and I didn't fly very well those next two days. I was pretty, I flew pretty scared and I was afraid to go fast and, you know, and, uh, I'd, I'd really had a little bit of a fear injury, you know, where I was, um, you know, psychologically a little traumatized. Um, but I knew that I just needed to to you know, I love this sport. I love it so much. I'm so obsessed with it. You know, it's something I'm going to continue to progress in for the next you know 10, 15 years. And I knew I needed to get back on the, on the horse every day and, and just slowly chip away at that like fear. And um, yeah, four days later, I launched from Tumwater in Washington, and I flew 120 plus miles from that location, and I set a uh, I set the the site record. So so just a few days after exploding out of the sky. I was able to get back on the horse and have a personal, not not just a personal best, but the best flight um, from that area ever, and that was a really incredible wow. achievement for me, you know, because I am going oriented it and I want to be badass at the sport. And and uh, but you know, it's uh, when you push too hard in the sport, the it's it's the smackdowns are big and 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 gnarly. And yeah, so that was quite the that's the story of my reserve toss. And man, that's not the only actual incident that I've had in paragliding. But, I had a way worse one, actually, where I got blown, but also similar, I got, so earlier on when I was even more gung-ho and a little dumber, I got to a situation where I was in too much wind, and I got backed up to these high-tension power lines, and I got blown backwards to these high-tension power lines in my, in my wing, I actually went through the power lines and, like, bounced off a power line, and then my wing went to the power lines and then kind of sucked through, and then I swung underneath, and then I was hanging from the power lines, like, 50 feet off the ground. And then the whole, like, kind of the tension, everything went boing. I kind of went boing down, and then the wing ripped loose. And then I got dropped, like, probably 30 feet at least. And uh, and I just did what's called a parachute landing fall. I just put my legs together, and I just, like, crumpled into the ground, and I landed on, like, sand in a bush. And, uh, you know, I mean, I literally fell out of the sky. Yeah. and no reserve parachute. And I land, and um, and I'm like, I'm not dude, I don't have a scratch on me, dude. I, I, don't, I didn't, like, even, like you know twist an ankle I was like completely unscathed and you know me and my buddy later were like how did you not you know googled how why didn't you die or get electrocuted you know but turns out the span between the power lines was big enough that I didn't like um you know short out the lines or whatever so I didn't get like lit on fire I didn't like break my back I didn't die and it all those were like you know possibilities oh man it's all part of my like better you know lucky than good (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah, that's my mantra for life that's my <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean so i've had those two incidents that have informed kind of the way that i fly my paraglider now which is a little more cautious and um each of those experiences you know i learned you know a valuable lesson from and um you know it's it's i mean the big the big one um from the reserve toss was was basically that you need to get better at recovering from um you know catastrophic events with your paraglider. You know, if I had been a more expert paraglider, I think I probably could have fixed that and flown away. And then from the, uh, from getting blown backwards through power lines, I just learned that yeah, you, you can't, you know, it works for you in climbing, which is just go for it and just push really hard. And you know what I mean? If you can do that in climbing, cause you'll take a whipper or you just won't be able to do the pitch or whatever. But in paragliding, if you push too hard, it's, um, the consequences are a lot more serious and also just, everything just happens a lot faster when you're in the sky and so yeah i've like luckily gotten these free lessons that you know where i easily could have been um super hurt or killed um and instead just like walked away just sort of a little bit scared and confused how i survived (laughs) so yeah it's a great sport i I really think everybody should check out paragliding i i i feel bad because i feel like i might be scaring people out of the sport but it can be done um you know if you're smart about it and you don't push like an idiot like i did and you um and you take it slow it can be this incredibly liberating um sport you know and it's and it can be done safely and you can have these like outrageous experiences you get to fly with birds you know i've like it looks spectacular it's amazing you know i've been at you know 18,000 feet like looking down on on the mountains and they look like little toys you know what i mean because you're so freaking high and uh you know i've i've you know i've many times felt like, you know, the magic of being transported, you know, this great distance through the air um, by just the power of nature, by by the rising air. It's something outrageous, something to be experienced, I think. But it's just something to be done, like maybe slightly more slowly than I was pushing um, at the start. Yeah. But anyway, it's paragliding. It's it's rad. sounds Sounds incredible. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. You can learn here in the Bay, you know, you can go out to the To um, Pacific out there to the dumps, and there's um, people who can teach you how to fly, and you can you can fly right here in the bay, and yeah, man, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool sport. It's my it's my new passion, and I I think maybe what I like about it is that um, it reminds me of when I first showed up in Yosemite back in the day when climbing was a pretty renegade band of weirdos. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was a niche sport. It was. Climbing hadn't blown up yet when I first got into it. You know, it was still pretty, um, it it was still pretty countercultural and weird. And, um, paragliding is still that way here in the U.S. And, uh, the the people who are in it are a bunch of freaks and I love them. And, and it's a small community and, um, and the sport is, you know, it's filled with like adventure and risk. And and some, some of the things that have been a little bit siphoned out of, of modern day climbing and, uh, yeah, and so it is refreshing for me to be in the smaller, more, you know, just core um, community. And, um, and on top of that, just the experience of flying is incredible. So, yeah, I'm, I've been really, really stoked on the sport. I still, of course, love climbing and love having climbing adventures. and um, But it's been a nice um, addition to my adventure kind of lifestyle. And, yeah, I, I recommend it to people. It's a cool sport. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, go to Antarctica, learn the paraglide. Yep. <laughs> what else? What else is on the bucket list? Uh, for me, bucket list stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have other car- paragliding goals, um, like fly, um, you know, 200 miles, you know, 400 kilometers. Those are like, you know, just def- different benchmarks in the sport. Crossing um, the Atlantic
0: one day, maybe? Yeah, you yeah, know.
1: <laughs> No, that's not on the list. That's impossible. <laughs> um, uh, I would like to. I would like to marry the, the the two my two passions together in the future and use paragliding as a mode of transport to the mountains. So be able to uh, fly into say the Karakoram, land at the base of a big wall, climb the big wall, and then go to a hill, relaunch, and fly back out. Um, that to me is really interesting. And then I would also like to um, use it as a mode of descent on um, bigger alpine climbs in the future. Or so and whether it's me or someone else who finally kind of marries those things together in that way. It's I think it's something that needs to get done and something I hope that I get a deal in the future. So,
0: are you already pitching, the, chipping away at the North Face? On yeah, I'm chipping one? away. <laughs> yeah, they're like,
1: unfortunately they they're a little scared of paragliding. I feel like you know what I mean. I think they're they're a little like you know so like my athlete manager's like uh, I don't know how I feel about this whole paragliding thing. <laughs> You know, Siegel, who I learned to fly with. Yeah, a, you guys did the one
0: film for the North Face already.
1: Yeah, so we did a film for the North Face called The Fledglings, where we, um, you know, it was, like, basically about us learning to paraglide, and then we flew off of Pico de Orizaba, the highest peak in Mexico, actually the third highest peak in North America. It's over 18,000 feet. It was outrageous, you know. We, we launched from, you know, 18,000 feet and, like, landed 10 miles where we launched. We literally, like, just flew all the way back to town, you know. And normally it would take you like two days to get back to town, so it's pretty incredible. And uh, anyways, um, Siegel unfortunately had a bad paragliding accident while launching from Mount Tom, and, um, and you know broke um, his neck, his, oh, man. his arms, his um, uh, he had a you know he had a really bad laceration. He he I mean he almost bled to death. He was actually stuck up there for over eight hours on the talus first helicopter couldn't get him off. They had to bring one of those, like, Huey things with the two rotors, and they eventually be able to get him, um, you know, to emergency services. But, uh, but you know, then Siegel spent, like, six months, you know, recovering and doing PT, and he's back and climbing 513 again, and not stoked on paragliding anymore. Um, and um, and the North Face, after I think all that, was also slightly less psyched, psyched on paragliding. Um, it is dangerous and the accidents in the sport are really can be really heinous um, but um, but you know it's it's i acknowledge that's a, something that could happen to me and something i'm you know trying to avoid at all costs and uh but it's you know i'm going to continue to pursue this sport and um, for me it's uh you know i I'm, I'm hoping i can mitigate that risk not have to face those kind of consequences and but also um you know, acknowledge that, you know, that's, that is, like, the, the fire that you're playing with in the sport, so it's, yeah, it's a thing, but yeah, Seagull fucked it up for me, the North Face isn't going to sponsor another, <laughs> they going to sponsor another <laughs> paragliding trip now, and we'll see, maybe, you know, I, I, I think I can convince them, you know, there's, you know, it's just got to chip away, just chip, chip away, <laughs> honestly, I, I guess if I was going to lead, like, people, like with a, a, you know, like something, you know, something they could live by, or you know, some advice. I would say that, you know, that the reason that I've been somewhat successful, um, in in what I've done, is not because I've really ever had that much talent. It's just because I've been quite relentless and chipped away. And uh, and that's true of, just even getting on the North Face team. Like I remember the athlete manager would come out, to 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 the valley every now and again. I'd be like, hey, you should put me on the team, you know, put me on the team. And, uh, and he'd be like, yeah, no, no, nope, you're not on the team, you know? And uh, year after year, I just kept on chipping away. And I think I just broke him down, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> he, like, put me on the team and then he, like, quit, like, a week later. Yeah. Oh, nice. Way to sneak in, get yeah. grandfathered I, in. I, I snuck in. Everybody was <laughs> like, oh, there's Who's the Cedar guy? Yeah. You're like, no, my yeah. name's on the list. Yeah, no, I'm all like, no, I'm in. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. I'm good. Yeah. No, but, uh, you know, I'd chip away. I, I'd say, you know, if you have a goal, um, if you're relentless and you just don't give up and you just keep freaking making small incremental steps you can do some cool stuff, you know, and that's sort of where my successes come from. I've never been naturally strong at climbing, you know, I don't wouldn't say that I've been much of a natural at paragliding. Um but I've uh doesn't sound like it. No, although like <laughs> <laughs> this buddy of mine, like Nick Greese, he's one of my you know, best paragliding buddies, one of the best pilots in the country. He's all oh, you might be a prodigy and then you know, I like went back to his power lines and he's like, Oh, I don't think you're a prodigy, you know <laughs> And then I like I you know, then I like set a sight record and he's like, Oh dude, you could be a prodigy, you know. So it's like this ongoing j- joke as to whether I'm a paragliding prodigy or not, but I think we both know. But I'm sadly I'm not, but I do love it. <laughs> yeah, and and also I guess the other thing I don't know if I was gonna leave people with something to think about, it would be that, you know, um, my whole lifestyle has been pretty unconventional, and I've had a lot of people along the way who thought that, um, that you know, that it wasn't going to work, you know, um, that, you know, people, like, kind of, people thought that, like, me living in my truck in Yosemite was pretty much kind of me being a loser, and and but i had a genuine passion and was getting genuine um rewards from that lifestyle and and really loved what i was doing and was very fulfilled by by what i was doing even though it wasn't a conventional path and um and it rewarded me with tons of success um you know not immediately um you know in conventional terms but now you know i'm i'm like pretty i'm doing pretty well financially and i'm um and i'm living a lifestyle that i love and uh but i definitely did you know commit to an unconventional path so I'd say you know if you have some weird you know hair-brained kinda of thing you wanna do that you should just go ahead and do it because you know if that's where your motivations are then why not just go for it you know it's um there's nothing worse than just being like well I should play it safe and or I should do the conventional thing because this is the way that society works you know and then you're just fucking miserable right so if you're like me and kinda of have like um you know, unconventional desires, or want to live your life in, in, in a way that doesn't fit into the norm. Um, you know, if you if that really is what you feel in your heart, you need to do. You should do it because then you're going to be happy and fulfilled. And even if you are, you know, diving in dumpsters like I was, you know, you'll feel like you're on the right path. And um, yeah, something to think about. You know, so I guess that's what I would leave um, people here listening to the podcast with: is chip away, don't be afraid to be a weirdo. You know, and it, it might reward you because you'll be if you'll be, you know, more true to whoever you are as a person, so, I don't know, that's my inspirational bullshit for you guys.
0: That was good, it was a pretty good warm-up
1: for, uh, for the climbing clinic. No, yeah, in the uh, clinic, I'll just be like, yeah, there, I'll just be like, stop being such a wussy and friggin' go already. No, (laughs) that's gonna be fun, but yeah, anyways, that's that's my spiel. I don't know. For everybody listening, thanks for listening. And yeah, uh, thanks yeah. for coming on, man. Yeah, it's fun. We'll get you back time. to the
0: to the Planet Granite. You can just yeah, go back to
1: planet planet, planet planet Granite. I gotta go poop like really bad too. So.
0: <laughs> thanks again to Cedar for making the time to come on the podcast. If you want to keep up on what he's up to, follow him on Instagram at cedarwright w r i g h t. His new film, Queen Maudland, about the Antarctica expedition, is making the rounds on the Real Rock Film Tour right now, which is online. You can, you can find on uh, information online at realrocktour.com. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. Our music today is a track called Coming Home by Ryan Anderson, and it comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive. See you next time.